1 Peter chapter 1. Now, we were there last week. If you remember, we taught on 9-11 or 463. What does 463 stand for? For God. So the question was 9-11 or God. Now, the whole point of the message was this. When people are in trouble or in danger or something comes up that they cannot handle or know that it's above their level to handle it, they call 911. That's why 911 was established. So somebody with authority, with expertise, can come and do what you can't do. And that's the way a lot of people operate in the world. That's because it's given to us, is to dial or call 911. Well, as a Christian, we can, in a similar sense, because we have troubles and problems, and we encounter difficulties, as our verse of Scripture will tell us. But God has given us himself as who we call upon. Now, a lot of Christians don't. That doesn't mean they won't down the road. But that's where we should begin when trouble and oppression and difficulties and things like that come in our life. There's a solution for all of man's ills. Did you know that? Everything that befalls us in this life, there's a solution for it. And God has a solution that we need. The world doesn't. The world can give you a temporary fix, but they can't fix it all the way through like God can. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read verses 5 and 6. We read that last week. It says that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness, the word means distress and sorrow. You understand that. You're in heaviness through many kinds of trials, testings, situations like that where you get a chance to prove what you believe. Now, I like the idea in verse 5 that we're kept. Well, you've got to like that. With all that's going on, with all that's going to go on, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Remember that. There's going to be difficulties confront us the rest of our life in some degree or another. But the Bible says, well, I want to major on this to begin with tonight, that in spite of no matter what, we are kept by the power that God has through faith. That's why one of the reasons we preach and teach on faith, how it operates, how you can have it, how it works, is because it opens a door to so much that God has for us. It's an avenue to God's grace, his favor and goodness that is extended to us. Not everybody experienced it, but you can. And we'll probably come back to the grace or the faith thing later on in the message. But he says we are kept by the power of God through faith. And then he goes on the next verse and say, even though now for a season, if need be. And we may not like this kind of theology, but, you know, there's times it's necessary. God has a program for your growth, your development, and you're proving yourself. And so for that to happen, God allows you to be tested. Not because you've done something wrong, not because you've sinned. That's what most Christians think when they're in a problem. Well, I've sinned, I've messed up. 
Well, you can certainly be in a problem because of that. But you know, when you look at Jesus, he was tempted in all points like we are. In fact, after he was baptized in River Jordan and the dove and all that and the voice. And the, the Bible said the next chapter that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tested and tempted of the devil for 40 days. He had to prove himself just like you have to prove yourself. If anybody knows what distress and sorrow, rejection, separation from affection of men is about, Jesus would. And the Bible says all of that stuff that came his way, he endured it because there was something before him that was worth enduring for. And he didn't look at situations in his life and just fall apart looking at things like, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. And you just wonder why I've been abandoned. Why has God left me here? Am I being forsaken? And, and I'm praying, I'm crying out. And uh, with that in mind, go back to Psalm 43 where we were last week. And I want to pick up there. And start there tonight because, it again, we do find ourselves in what I would call dire situations or difficult or uncomfortable uh, situations. We feel rejected because, again, we're crying out to God. We're praying. I prayed for healing. I prayed for deliverance. I prayed that this wouldn't happen, that wouldn't happen, and it happened anyway. Oh, I cried out to God. I read my Bible, and it happened anyway. And, you know, the first thought is that because we put so much effort into crying out to God, we really deserved some kind of an answer. You know, this should have gotten fixed. Sometimes it doesn't. I remember today that sometimes in my life there have been things in the past that I've done that with. I've said things to God I had to take back, you know. Accuse him of not liking me in different words. But then I realized later on down the road in my life, when I got my mind off of me and my sorrows, that he actually did fix it. He did bring it to pass. I did recover. The, whatever I was believing for did come back, not on my time and on my terms, but on his. But sometimes we get so caught up in who we are in our little world of self we throw a grand party for ourselves sometime, a little pity party. And uh, we invite whoever will pity with us. We can really get distressed, downtrodden, all these kind of oppressive things that happen, oppressed of the devil the Bible speaks of. We can't wrap our faith around or our theology around something. Is Why is it that I'm crying out for a promise you made that doesn't look like it's working? And I don't know in the Christian life, at least what I believe in the way I live, I don't know anything that can bother me more than that. I mean, people could leave, call you names and all of that. But the fact that my relationship to God seems to be damaged or seems to be less than what it was supposed to be, I'm not experiencing that nearness and closeness like I was expecting to. I wonder, what's going on? What's going on, Lord? What? Hey, I, I'm still here. I'm still on this earth. And sometimes I forget that God said, I told you I would keep you. I told you I would never leave you nor forsake you. 
I did tell you I was going to change you. I was going to correct you that these trials would be called fiery trials. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which are what? To try you as though you poor thing, something strange has happened to you. But he said, rejoice. And that's not something we do whenever things are dark. We don't. We just kind of have this little difficult moment of trying to deal with God, trying to figure out what have I done wrong? Where was the open door? You certainly could have had an open door, but again, you don't have to have an open door to grow. Just things happen, and it must be quite a common thing because the psalmist said this. You were there last week. Let's read again. Psalms 43. Judge me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from deceitful and unjust men. Verse 2. For thou art the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Let me ask you a question, just those two verses. Have you ever been there? I'm serious. Have you sincerely, I don't want you to Raise your hand, give me a commentary, but have you ever felt like you were cut off from God? Have you ever felt like you've been cast away? Maybe you said something, did something. Again, maybe you just got this dead feeling about you all the time and no juice in you, you know. You have a hard time lifting the hands that hang down because there's no feeling or something is missing. You ever been there? Do you suppose that in any way God would be involved in this? Well, we can't accept that either because God would only do juicy things for me. He would never let me feel dry. I mean, I'm talking about living waters, not some old dead swamp. I'm talking about juice. I want to go to church every night and go, and tell you the truth, it's hard to even get in the car and go to church. Sometimes, you know, and then the song leader had a good day, and he's wild. There's a March Hare, and he's up here just yelling and carrying on, and you're sitting there going, have you ever had a similar like feeling like that? Any of you? Otherwise, it's just me and two or three of you. I have been there. I know how that feels. And I know how unamusing what I just said was when you're feeling like that. Yeah, you're really cute. Yeah, you're really funny. <laughs> you just don't know what it's like. I don't. I bet I do. I bet I have failed as much as anybody else has failed in this same area. Because my relationship to God is, is God and me, me and God. And he's on my side, and I can't lose. And, and I, you know, I'm bad to the bone, and I'm bulletproof to boot, and I, I just can't lose. And yet, I feel like I'm just lonely. You know, you sit down and read your Bible, right? I'm going to deepen myself. So you dive in. And you sit there, and you get real spiritual, and you read the same verse four times. And you think, oh, come on, now get into this. Okay. Oh. I read that verse three times. I don't even know what word it starts with. Oh, God, help me. You just feel like you're left out. I think this is the kind of the mood that the psalmist is expressing to us. When he's crying out to God, 
his heart's got a deep place in it, and it hurts. And he said, you're the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? I mean, you're not responding. There's nothing going on here between us. Why have you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Because that's my problem, isn't it? Isn't the problem I'm dealing with not so much God and I as much as the devil and I? Isn't our problem the devil and his access to our life and the availability of all our little weaknesses to him? Things we do not overcome are like little desserts for him. He gets to come in. You don't overcome, and that's what your weakness is that leads to these, some of these moments. Then he gets to keep doing it. Unless you overcome, you can't conquer. Because the word overcome and conquer talking about the same thing. So God keeps reminding us. He keeps showing us the trials he leads us into expose us. We begin to see how weak we are, how mumbly mouth or mealy mouth we are, and how we mourn and how we grumble or how we complain. The word mourning is an interesting word. The word for mourning here, it means to be dark. It's a Hebrew word which means to be dark. It's the absence of light. You feel like you're in a dark place. You really can't see where to go. You don't know what direction to take. You don't even can't see what you're doing wrong. Well, I don't know what don't know what to do. Just darkness. And they tell me I've heard people talk about people that are greatly oppressed, people that are on medication because of depression how dark a world it really is and how deep people get into oppression and can't get out. And you don't really care about anything. You come to the place, you don't care if you go to church or sing. You don't care about anything because everything's dark. You get this dark mood in your life or this gloom and this depression. And you mope around. People know there's something wrong. I don't mean people go through deep, dark depression and never get out of it here. I mean, we have a moments in which we feel like that. And those days do come, and they come for a reason. And the heaviness that we often feel as a mood of what we're going through has a message with it. And it's not so you can cry out and complain to God as much as it is Seek a solution. How do I handle this? How do I deal with this? What do I do? It's not God's will for me to mope. It's not God's will for me to moan. It's not God's will for me to groan and be in heaviness all the time and need people to call me, write me notes, and ask me how I'm... I should be helping somebody instead of needing help all the time. So, you can put something right here. Put a piece of paper, pencil. I'm going to come back to... So this psalm in just a minute, or in just a few minutes. And in the meantime, let's go over to Psalm 77. Well, there's a real shopping mall over there, a spiritual mall in Psalm 77. And it amplifies all of this a little bit more. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 9. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. 
In the meantime, I might say, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran through the night, and it ceased not. I didn't get any relief. My soul refused to be comforted. Now, that's what I want. That's the testimony I want to give. And yet, my sore, my difficulty, my problem, it just lasted and kept on all through the night. There was no comfort in my life in verse 2. In verse 3, he says, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed because that's not how you get relief. The word troubled is a word which means to murmur, to growl, to moan, to groan. It's kind of that, uh, 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 how you doing? Uh, you, wouldn't, uh, you don't even want to know. Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, everything all right? Uh, good testimony if you're an animal. But it's not a good testimony as a Christian because you have been taught better. The information God has given you in the past says you shouldn't do that, but we do it anyway. That's how vulnerable, that's how weak we are. We, we do it anyway. And so there we are. He said, I cried out. I complained. He said, I'm troubled. You know, I think we complain because there's a bitterness in your heart. I really believe that. There's a difficulty in you accessing what God has said and what he's promised and it not working on your level, on your schedule, the way you want it to, and you don't see any reason to keep pressing in and keep seeking and crying out to God because I did it all night long. I still don't feel any better. Nothing has changed. The problem is still there looking at me in the face. Now skip down to verse 5. He said in verse 5, he said, I have considered the days of old. Now, historically, the days of old, I read the Bible, and I see the difficulties that God's people went into, the Israelites, and I saw what happened to them and how they were led into captivity or the Philistines defeated them. Their enemies took advantage of them, conquered them. They became slaves. The reason they did was because in the good days, when the happy days, when they were delivered by the judges, they got bored with it. They got bored. They began to look around at some of the other things and thought they'd try that. And they convinced themselves it was all right. And trouble came and difficulty came. And in their trouble, they cried out to God. And sometimes God was very slow responding. Now, he always has responded. Maybe not before you went into captivity, but he did not leave his people in another country. Even when Titus in A.D. 70 came in and destroyed the temple and just devastated the, all forms of worship because, you know, the conquering army thought, well, Israel's strength is in its religion. Destroy their religion, their house of worship, everything that's sacred to them. They threw it down. No stone left upon another stone. I mean, they devastated it. And these people were scattered all over the world. 
for 2,000 years. They had no home. There were Jews here, Jews there. They were all over the world. What a miracle. After 2,000 years, he not only brought them back, but he gave them their language back. They never forgot most of their customs. And now today, they're an ancient nation in modern times because God never left them. It looked like it. It seemed like it. Many people failed through all of this, but he never forsook his people. He kept them just like he said he would keep them. He kept them. Israel will never go away. Israel will never go away. Never. They're <laughs> going to be here when Jesus comes. There'll be a few of them left, and every one of them that's left on the face of this earth when Jesus comes will be saved. I'm talking about a time that's, well, it's a little bit over our head for tonight, but they will go through a time in which most of them are gone. And the ones that are left, if it weren't for the Lord's return, they would be gone. He comes back and reads Zechariah, and they will behold him whom they have pierced and long for him as the only son. I mean, all of that's going to happen because God will keep his word, not because Israel deserved it any more than we deserve it. We're not kept because we're spiritual. We're kept because God made a promise. He cannot break his own promise. Sometimes, though, in the meantime, while we're down here on this earth, walking with him in this great number of promises that we talk about all the time and the faith that accesses all of this, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's working. Kids didn't get saved. Money didn't come in. Marriage didn't get fixed. Things seemed to break and fall apart like there was never a promise to claim in the first place. Or if you did claim, it didn't do any good. It's what it seems like, what it looks like, and maybe the way it actually is for a moment. But remember, we're kept by the power of God. How? Through faith. Now, back again to Psalm 77. He said, I remembered God historically. And I know that he's always been there. Now, I have to know that. I may not want to think that, but I have to know that. Secondly, I remember God, and maybe I remember the good old days. Remember the good old days? When we first, this is a day. This is, you couldn't keep us out of church. You couldn't keep us away from this place. Couldn't keep us from reading, studying, praying, getting together, and giggling. It was a life that we found that had been kept from us and God gave it to us and what a joyful life. I remember it well. And all my friends were like that. We kind of fed off each other. But here we are at this time of, I think the bigger word is maturation. Let's just call it maturing. When we're beginning to get away from childish things and into more of mature adult spiritual things. We begin feeding on meat instead of just milk, and we still rejoice, but there's a deeper purpose. Now we're beginning to seek after it, and boy, some of these growing moments seem like they're pretty hard. It just seems like it's difficult to keep pressing on. It's easier to be gone and do something else. 
I mean, I'm not doing any good going to church. Yeah, you know, if you want to go, that's fine. I'm, I'm glad for you. Psalmist can't get this off his mind. In the sixth verse, he says, Lord, I commune on my bed. I go to bed with this. I lay in the bed and think about it at night. I get up in the morning, I'm still thinking about it because there's nothing in life anymore that troubles me more than my relationship with you being vital, living and alive and feeding my confidence, feeding off of that. And when I don't have that, it's not easy. But the last thing I'll ever do is quit. Because what do you go back to if you quit? We said Sunday, death. So I got this to deal with. And so he said again in verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit makes diligent search. You've been trained like that. You've been taught like that. But sometimes you get so negative in your thinking. You get negative. Instead of seeing all the things we've been taught that are promises, they must come to pass, God said it, we begin to think negative. Look at verse 7 and 8. They're just negative thinking. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is it over? Maybe you need to quit coming. God doesn't like you anymore. Maybe you need to go to some other church. I mean, he doesn't minister to you here. He's, he's not here when you're here. What's going on in your life that's any good? You've been going to church, putting money in a box, doing some praying, reading your Bible in the morning, and what? Maybe you need to move to Pakistan, or maybe go, I don't know. You run all you want. Just keep running. Hook it up, pack it up, and keep running if you want to. But you're never going to run away from God. You know what? If he brought us here, he'll meet us here. If he brought us here, we'll find trouble here. If he brought us here, we'll grow up here. And if we decide to quit, we'll quit here. But you're never going to get away from the fact that God who brought you here is never going to leave you alone. And your days of difficulty are never going to cease in this life. They don't go day after day after day. We get a lot of breaks in between. But they're always going to be around, and you're going to have to deal with them, and God is teaching us how to deal with them. But sometime, like he said in verse 7, is it over? Was it just fun for a while? Verse 8, as I've said before, this verse is for us in Kentucky. Is his mercy clean gone? you got to like that. Is his mercy clean Gone? Is it over? Will he be favorable to us no more? Have we messed up somewhere that he just said, we're done with you? Sometimes it feels like that. Verse 8, he said, is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Let me ask you all a question. Can God fail? If he said he will do something, can he fail? No. His promise never fails. Never. His promise doesn't fail. You may fail, but he can't. He cannot because he is God. But it seems like it because we 
are so right in what we're doing. My heart is so right in what I'm doing. My crying out is so pure that it's just not right for him not to do what he said. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe we're getting this wrong. Maybe we've been taught wrong about God responding to his promises that he may not always do the way you've been taught. Maybe he says, no, you don't need to be. No, I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to leave you the way you are. I get more glory from you the way you are than if you got blessed. People think like that. Let's read verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? You think he has? Does anybody in this room believe that God has forgotten to be gracious? Every single thing that God does with regard to us is a matter of grace. It's something he does because we can't. And if he doesn't, we can't. But he does what he does from the opening of our eyes to giving us understanding to subduing our enemy and let him not be bigger than we are. God is faithful who will not allow you to be. I mean, he is so much in control of every aspect of our life that every good thing that happens to us comes because of God's gracious goodness. Now, he's promised that. And he said, in verse 9, he said, has God forgotten to be gracious? That's not a nice thing to say. Or maybe he's mad. Maybe he's mad. That's what it is. Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? There are times it certainly seems so. My anguish, my griefs, my weaknesses, those are different words and different translations for griefs. Sometimes it seems like it. Maybe he's mad at me because something that the devil said, well, you know, God is done with you. Because the, the oppression does come from the enemy who is the one who is the accuser of the brethren who also tells you that God didn't mean what he said. That God isn't going to do this for you because remember yesterday you told your husband that, well, you called him some kind of a little cute name. Well, well you're done for the rest of this week. God ain't going to bless you no more. Who said? Well, the devil said. Oh, no. You, how fast are you driving? Oh, well, you're, it's over. It's over. The devil will use anything he can, knowing that some of us are more vulnerable than others to this kind of stuff. He'll use anything he can to oppress you. An attitude, a, a thought pops in your mind. A thought didn't come from you. It came from the devil. A vain thought. The psalmist said, I hate vain thoughts. Well, you don't go around thinking vain thoughts. Vain thoughts are given to you to think about. Why wouldn't the devil do that? That's what he does. And then when you think a vain thought and you go, oh, then he accuses you of being like that. You're not like that at all, but he makes you feel like you're like that. Then he says, well, you and God are done. He's unhooked himself from you. Anybody think like that? Remember that woman walking down the road the other day in, in that twisty little something she was in? And remember, you looked at her, and the devil said, uh-huh, there you go. It's over. It's it. I don't know what you're thinking. You weren't really thinking that at all. As a Christian, you were thinking, what a terrible-looking outfit that is. But the devil said, oh, no, 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 you were, you were, you were thinking sex. I, don't, I know what you were thinking. Oh, no. Well, now, you see, God said you're an adulterer. Now, if you're an adulterer, you're out. You know what, folks? If you don't know how to fight this fight... 
if you don't know how to handle this mental war, you're going to be tossed to and fro by all kinds of mental things in your life. Everything is going to come by. It's going to twist and distort you and, and make you think you're guilty of everything that he can make you guilty of. And guilt brings depression. Guilt brings oppression. Guilt is such a terrible thing. That's what sin is. Sin is guilt. But it's a good guilt because it leads to repentance. But the devil does everything he can to try and convince you, maybe in your weakness, in your growth that's not very strong yet, or you've been around 30 years and you haven't grown, he does everything he can to keep you from going forward, to make you complain to God. Well, it's God's fault. He, done, you know, he said he would, but he won't. He said he could, but he probably can't. I don't know if he, I read in the Bible where he did this. I ain't never seen a miracle. Have you ever seen one? No. I don't, how do we know he'll do all that? We start thinking like that. God no longer is the one who is worthy of your very best. He's just somebody that's disappointing you. And I might be just preaching to myself. Maybe I should have put a mirror up here and I said, now I know who I'm talking to now. It sometimes is very difficult to just keep going on a level of joy and peace and so forth because you have no feeling that agrees with that. It's just, man. Well, verse 9, one more time. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No. It seems like it, but he has not. Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies from you? No. Well, what's, what's going on? At this point, to keep you from being overwhelmed and really from losing the battle, God who is faithful and will not let you get tempted beyond what you can handle, he comes in, a little gleam of light comes under the door, and you get verse 10. It says, this is my infirmity, he said. This is my anguish. But I shall remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. You know what? I'm going to get my eyes off of why me, poor me, oh me. I'm going to get my eyes off of me for a moment and go back and think about all the things he's said and all the things he's promised. I'm going to think about that. I think you can still say whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are right, whatever things are this, whatever thing is in agreement with God and glorifies God. What did he say to do? He said, think on these things. Remember that in Philippians 4? Think like that. And the challenge is, how can I think on those things when I'm not experiencing those things? Well, he didn't say you had to experience those things to think like that, did he? He did not say think as you feel. Of course, as a man thinketh, so is he. If you're thinking negative, you know what? You're becoming negative. You talk negative. Your conversations are negative. Your friends reference you as being negative because it's always questioning something at God. It's just a negative mindset. No wonder God has to renew our minds. If we have the mind of Christ, it's a positive mind. It doesn't mean we don't have our trials and our tribulations and our difficulties. It doesn't mean I don't have to fight this good fight of faith. And it doesn't mean that 
those dark days of mourning really are real. It's not funny. If you're going through it, it isn't funny at all. There's nothing fun about it, nothing cute about it, nothing worth laughing about. It's a real-life experience. I just don't feel like worshiping God because things aren't going well, and he doesn't seem to care. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I suspect you have to some degree. And yet the Bible doesn't depict God's people as being like that. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by our faith and not by feelings. Just because I don't feel like worshiping God doesn't mean I can't. It just means I don't want to. I just don't want to because I don't feel like it. I'm not being ministered to. It's still about me and self. And yet a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of praise means you do it because it's required. God wants it. I don't feel like doing it. I don't care what you feel like. What if God said that to us tonight? I don't care what you feel like. Now, he does. I want you to obey me. Obedience is what? Better than sacrifice. Come on. You weren't taught the things of God just to have a a memory full of spiritual matter. You were taught spiritual things to live in accordance, weren't you? What he's taught us is this is the way, walk ye in it. Isn't that what we're taught? Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, we need to get on the phone and call God. Go back to Psalm 43. Here we are in the midst of Psalm 77 and two verses of Psalm 43. I'm going to call 463. Ring. Yes, may I help you? I need thee. Oh, I need thee. And he says, okay, here's what I will do for you as a remedy for your need. It's go to verse 3 of Psalm 43. I will send out my light and my truth. And they are designed to do something that will elevate you out of your problem. Hmm, let's see if that means that. This is our... 463 call, oh, send out thy light and thy truth. And let them what? Lead me. When does he say that? Now, I want you to get the text. He says that after telling us what's going on with his life in verses 2. I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well. I don't feel spiritual. I'm easily condemned. I don't grow well. I'm not the the testimony that I wish I was. I I go through these, oh, God. You don't have to tell me I do that because I know I do. You say that. You would say that. He said, God, 463, please, yes. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. And not just let them lead me, he says, but let them bring me to you. Listen to me. The Bible you're holding, the Word of God, does many things. It's like food and it's like light. What is light? Light is a remedy for darkness, isn't it? Where there is mourning or darkness, 
there is light from God that will replace it. You'll begin to see things God's way. You'll get your eyes off of yourself and your little party you'll have, and you'll send all your guests home, and you'll begin to worship God. He said, oh, send out thy light and thy truth, and let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. That's what I need. I've been trapped in this room with me. What, what horrible company. You talk about some bad company. What if you were trapped with just you? You. Retelling all your stories of woe and sorrow and oh, I don't know. I'm just a poor. And all the rest of that. What you need is some light. And you've got it in your lap. As far as I know, from all these years we've been here, you've been getting it at least once or twice a week. And if it's clear, it always comes from God when it is. And God's word like rain, just like little showers of blessing, they come down to give us information. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? It'll lead you. It'll bring you to God. Your eyes, by the work of the Holy Spirit, your eyes will be opened and you will begin to see things. He will direct your steps. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And even though when the Spirit of God is working, you say, you know, I'm just not really in the mood for that. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can do this. There's nobody in this room that can keep me from it. There's no physical impairment that can, or mental impairment. There's no impairment in my body that can keep me from doing that. I'm going to make a, a moral and ethical decision to do that. I'm going to use my faith and say, I'm going to trust you, God, that as you give me light, as the light comes up and I begin to reflect as I remember God, I begin to think of all the verses I can put together. Forty-some years of reading and study. Surely, Lord, there's a lot of stuff in the well. You can just bring it up and put things together. And as I reflect upon these things, I think, who am I to complain? Who am I to fret? Why should I go through life vexed and distressed and without a testimony of victory? I'm not made to be a loser. I was a loser. God's reshaping me into something that is a testimony. We are to walk in the light, are we not? We are to walk in the light as he is the light. As we walk in the light, he brings us to himself. And I believe the more he comes into focus in some of those dark days of our life, the more we get delivered out of darkness. I believe that until we can actually start rejoicing and having the victory when things are not well at all. Remember this? So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but my word shall accomplish that which I please. My word shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Remember that? God sent his word to bless us, and to change us. In fact, if you go to Psalm 51 and listen at this, 
Verse 8. Remember the psalmist is when David had been caught with Bathsheba and so forth. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Sadness. Huh. Make me to know that. Well, now, stay right there. Let, let me go back and say something else. Psalm 55 said, you know, so shall my word be that goes forth, the light that goes forth. You know what verse 12 says? To those, he said, the word shall accomplish that which he pleases because somebody down here is going to receive that word and that word is going to be the remedy for their life even though it doesn't look better because that's what faith does. Faith receives what was said as though it's already happened and begins to rejoice. We count it all joy even when we're in a trial. Not when a trial's over, but even before it starts because we know in whom we have Believe in that he is able to keep what we have committed unto him, that he, he can't fail. He said he would keep us, didn't he? He said, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. Remember that? I know you know the song. Well, that's Isaiah 55, 12. That's the one that follows, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. What it does is it has such an effect upon you that you shall go out with joy. Here you were in a dark, gloomy little time in your life. Very real. Not funny, but very real. Been there. And, you know, all these questions in your mind, all these thoughts that the devil does to oppress you, to get you to think wrong. And then God sends out his light, and you begin to put things together that you've been taught. And even though you're a little bit ashamed of yourself and having set all of that aside, you begin to think about it, that this is what God sent that word to do, to deliver me, to heal me, to rescue me. Whoa. Faith doesn't look at the situation. Faith looks at what God has said. Faith creates hope. My hope is based on my faith. Faith is this very substance of things I expect to happen. If I don't expect it to happen, I'll remain negative, trust me. If I don't expect God to do what he says, I will remain a question mark and wind up a zero. But if I am growing... And this is the work of God, and he's doing this in my life. And I begin to see it. A little smile begins to creep over your face. You shall go out with joy. This follows the word. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And everything that was in front of you is an unconquerable problem. They shall begin to melt before you and rejoice before you. You're one of God's people. You're his living testimony on this earth. We saw what you were going through. We see how you're coping with it. And we see what God did. Wow, who is this God you're serving? Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the expectancy you've got in your life. What's put that there? The word, the light of God, it just shone into our hearts. To give light to the knowledge in 2 Corinthians 4 of the Son of God and who he is and what he does. We begin to see it. 
and what a difference it makes in people's lives. To the casual churchgoer, it makes no difference at all. It's just a bunch of words. But to somebody that's really getting into this, really laying hold of that plow, really wanting to walk with God, it's a life changer. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Joy. Peace. I had a sign one time that said joy, and then it had some other words that uh, is undeniable proof of the presence of God. I'm not so sure I don't disagree with that. Because where there is joy, there is God. In the presence, in the presence of the Lord, there is joy forevermore. Remember Psalm 1611? We used to sing that. In the presence of the Lord, there's joy forevermore. Or in thy presence is fullness of joy. We sing it that way too. In thy presence is fullness of joy, not darkness and gloom. I'm not coming to a dark throne. I'm not coming to God who sits in a dark place, patting me on the back and sympathizing with me. I'm coming to light. The one who dispels darkness. The one who teaches me that darkness is a tool of the devil to keep you from growing and to keep you from going on. That's the work of the devil. Any way he can, he'll use that. His great weapon, of course, is fear. Because once you feel like you've crossed the line, you have done a little too much, you're not really overcoming some particular trait in your life, well, you're done, you're done. And then when you start crying out to God in despair, oh God, mama, then it seems like it gets worse. And friends, the psalmist said it like this, oh, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me to thy holy hill. Listen to this verse of scripture in the Psalms. He said, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And the next verse says, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. But when you get the operator on the 463 call, you'll find out right away in the few words that you need to hear, you will find that joy and peace and singing and all of that goes with a victorious Christian. God never encourages gloom and doom and doubt and defeat, but he encourages us to offer sacrifices of joy. Like Psalm 51, verse 8 said there, he said, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear that. I hear what the devil's saying. I hear what people offer as a suggestion is nothing more than something the devil would love for you to do. The psalmist said, Lord, make me to hear joy and gladness that my bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, let me close tonight by making three points about joy. I worked all week once on a message on joy, had it all pretty outlined on my computer and hit a, hit a wrong button. Whole thing. Well, didn't you back it up? No. And I just lost the whole thing. But I remembered enough of it. 
to make three points here tonight about joy. You see, joy really does bring with it the presence of God. Joy is a spiritual thing. Happiness is a fleshly world. It's a, happiness depends on what happens. You're happy if. But joy, nothing has to happen. Joy is a response to the word of God. Just like he said in James chapter 1, count it all what? Well, he didn't say things were going well for you. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 in a jail, put in jail for casting out a devil. Things weren't going well for them. You know what Paul did in the jail cell? Paul and Silas, they sang hymns in a nasty, I can only imagine what the place smelled like. And what your mind was telling you about, you know, tomorrow to please this weird crowd out here, they're going to kill you both. Everybody's going to be glad we're getting rid of these people, these Christians. And you're not getting out of the jail cell. I mean, you're not big enough to break those chains. You are cooked, my friend. You are cooked. And so Silas said to Paul, you know, I know you believe in casting out devils, but if you just quit that, we wouldn't be in these kind of places. Actually, he didn't say that. Paul said, you know what, Silas? Let's sing that song, Thy Loving Kindness. And Silas said, let's do. Thy loving kindness is better than life. And I'm sure a sailor or two down in there, if they were in a jail, said, shut up! <laughs> Thy loving kindness, shut up! And I know that made a noise in a racket. Or... There could be something very special about a saint's words of worship to those around. You don't know who's listening. I don't. Sometimes I'm in here singing, and people can walk through this church. I couldn't hear them until they get to the door. But, you know, I preach sometimes. I think if somebody's coming in here, I guess I get an audience. But you sing. I sing because of dark days. I sing because I'm sad. For his eye is on the sparrow. You know, that's not what the song says, is it? The joy of the Lord uh, disappoints me. Listen to me. You cannot have the joy of the Lord and faint. You cannot have the joy of the Lord and draw back. You cannot be joyful before God and quit. It doesn't work like that. People who quit don't rejoice. They don't have the joy of the Lord. They complain. They're bitter of soul. And they're in a dark place. And they moan and they groan. And they quit. But the joy of the Lord, you never quit. There's not a person living in the church world that will quit God joyfully. You won't come before his throne and say, I quit. I'm done. Woo! You'll never do it. You'd be like Peter who followed Jesus afar off. And you say, oh, you know, this is, this is, that's enough. You know, I got up here close to him and look what happened to me. I sunk and the rooster crowed and this and that happened. He said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough for this. But as it turns out, he was, wasn't he? As it turns out, God used him. 
Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. The angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter to meet me. You know, I'm not even considered a disciple. Boy, I think there's some measure of despair, grief, sorrow, gross disappointment in yourself, shame. And now he doesn't seem to want to have much to do with you. Can't even talk to him. And there he is on the seashore cooking fish. You know, God doesn't throw us away. Are you hear me? But I can promise you this now because I believe this. Every time he does his good work in us, we will express some measure of joy. If you have the joy of the Lord, you don't quit. Maybe that's why Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because that's what he said. The first thing I want to point out is that no man can faint or fall away or quit who is joyful. You won't quit if you're joyful. The second thing I just mentioned that my strength is in the Lord, but the thing that makes me strong in the Lord is that I believe it. I believe it. I got to give you another verse. Uh, just for a brief moment, and then we'll come back. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope, the God who gives you something to look forward to, he shows you what. Okay, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace when? In believing. What if you're not believing? What if you're just saying, well, I don't know how, what if you're doing that? Then it won't work. This is just a lot of ink on paper that you've memorized, but it's not a reality. But when you believe it, when you set your will to saying, I will respond, I will do what you said. May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I want that. Do you want to abound? Would you like to have a testimony of being an abounder? Would you like for people who know you say, you know what? Like I said to, to Gus once, I was teasing, I've said this before to y'all, but I was teasing Gus about Granny. Or Bonnie. And I said, Gus, why is Granny so mean? And he said, she's not mean, she's happy. Now, a five-year-old can see that. They look around and they notice things in their mom and their dad, their grandpa, their grandma, and their friends. Even little kids, they can tell. We can tell as big people. We can tell who's trying hard, who's not. We can tell the difference. And you know what? And when it comes to us, we never kid ourselves. We can try to make ourselves out to be something that we're not. God knows you're not. And in your heart, you know you're not. If you're not doing well, you know you're not doing well. But you could do well. Because God has something before us as he opens up for us. He puts something out there before you that is so worth pursuing. 
that all the efforts of the devil to distract you, dissuade you, and defeat you. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but what? Be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. Hebrews 12, as I get to my third point. Hebrews 12. Thirdly was the joy of Jesus. Did Jesus have joy? Well, he was hammered, wasn't he? Was he rejected? Even his own friends. But the Bible said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, we know the Hebrew words also apply to healing and sickness. But I do believe also that Jesus, Jesus felt what we felt. And we were sorrowful, grieving people. He walked where we walk. He was tempted in all points like we are. Oh, he wouldn't have the thought. He was tempted in every way that I'm helped. He has said in Hebrews 4 that he is a great high priest who can be accessed by people who need him because he knows what it's like to walk on this earth. He's already been here. A human experience is in the Godhead tonight. He knows how you feel. He can be touched with our feelings of infirmity. He knows what it's like. But you know why he overcame? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. This is what it says. He said, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. He said, looking unto Jesus. This is what we who feel like fainting, we who don't want to endure, that's what this is about. Those of us who feel like we just can't make it, I'm too little, it's too far, it's too hot, I'm too old, something. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the what? Who for the joy that was set before him. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Jesus had a goal, something to achieve? Was there something that he came to do on this earth? Was it something so big and so necessary that only he can do that he was willing to lay down his life to do it? Well, what was such a big deal about that? Because if he does, and he doesn't back off and doesn't give up and quit and change his mind or anything, if he goes all the way to the cross and so forth, dies, then the effect is that a door will be opened by him so that every one of us can be saved. Every one of us. All of creation will never be cast aside as lost and separated from God forever. That's what sin does. He said, I will settle the sin question. I will give my life for their sin. Because when I do that, God will open a door of salvation to all of us. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He said he endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he goes on to say, for consider him, folks, look at him. This who we're following. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. He was forsaken, abandoned by his friends. They left him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They did everything that they could, the, the Pharisees and, and the lawyers and the scribes, and to, to tempt him and test him to get him to do wrong, and he, he didn't. Who for the joy that was set before him. Is there a joy that's set before you? How about you here tonight? What's set before you? 
eternal glory, heaven and the place that is beyond what any man has ever thought or considered, it's out there if you will just stay the course, hold on to the plow, don't look back. And I promise you this, everything there is worth all the pain, all the agony, all the heaviness, the sorrow, and the difficulties that we'll ever go through in this life, it's worth it. And the reason it is, is because Jesus is worth that kind of commitment from us. Now, in closing, last verse. Backwards from Malachi, go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, however you want to say it, suit yourself. We'll close with this. Chapter 3, the last two verses, verse 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit in the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail, and there be no herd in the stall, and the flock shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the field, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now, all of us know, because we've heard this through our lives for years, a person who's experiencing this has a reason to think dark. He has a reason to moan, just like the friends of Job. They come and surround him and say, you poor soul. But this guy, I think this typifies the New Testament saint. Though everything that you pursue, things that you really want to be successful in, the good measure of blessing that you're looking for in this life, everything fails. Though the fig tree shouldn't blossom and so forth. But see, there's a reason that it failed. But it's not because God's abandoned you. It's temporary. Look at the next verse. Yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What is joy? That's the remedy. That's what God gives. That's what keeps you from quitting, backsliding, throwing in the towel, and quitting. You look beyond your feeble little self, and you look at God, what he gives you, his promises to keep you, secure you, guide you, lead you, equip you, bless you. As you go in and as you go out, whatever you put your hand to will prosper. He's promised all of that. That's what we hide in our heart. And whenever the gloom comes, we say, no, the trials are for a season, aren't they? Trials are for a season. This can't last forever. But while I'm going through it, I will rejoice. Even if you have to say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, you, you can do better now. I know I can. Give me a break. The joy of the Lord, thy loving kindness. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Get away from everybody. Go to the man room. Shut the door. Thy loving kindness is better than life. You big cry baby Hamilton. Thy loving kindness, you big baby, is better than life. Turn your frown upside down, then my lips shall pray. Next thing you know, you come into the house and your wife says, where you been? Let me smell your breath or whatever they say today when you know, you're too happy. 
For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It's not what you get on this earth, but it's spiritual. It's righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Ghost. Well, that's it. Therefore, don't sing with me because I want to sing. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord, this is Isaiah 35. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with moaning into Zion. And everybody shuts the doors and goes in the house and pulls the curtain. No. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Now, they went somewhere, but now they're coming back, aren't they? They shall return, and they shall come with singing, and joy and gladness shall be on their head. Where'd they get it? In the presence of the Lord. You can't defeat them anymore. You can't defeat these people. They know how to overcome. They know that overcoming and worship and praise and singing all go together. They can do all things through Christ who what? How do you know they believe that? They got a smile on their face. You cannot beat these people. They know what they believe. So, next time before it's 911, consider 463. Amen?